What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Um, got a big show for you today, getting ready for Memorial Day. So I'm actually recording this on Saturday, but you'll be hearing this on Monday. Uh, let's get things started off in space. So keep your eyes on the cloud cover forecast tonight into Tuesday morning. Uh, that's when Earth will pass through the remnants of a comet and we could possibly see a once in a lifetime meteor storm. Experts don't know whether it will be a shower or a true meteor storm, the last of which was the Leonid meteor storm of 1966. This is going to be an all-or-nothing event, wrote Bill Cook, and he leads the NASA Meteoroid Environment Office at the Marshall Space Flight Center. During the Leonid storm, meteors fell at rates as high as 40 meteors per second. People who watched the 1966 shower said that they felt like they had to clutch the ground. So strong was the impression of the Earth moving through space. The possible storm will peak Monday into Tuesday as the Earth passes through a particularly dense stream of icy particles left behind in the year 1995, 1897, and 1892 by Comet 73P Schwarzman-Wachmann-3. Maximum activity is expected to be around 10 p.m. Monday, Pacific Daylight Time. Okay, and for our world segment this week, the Russian ruble is the best performing currency in the world this year. Two months after the ruble's value fell to less than a U.S. penny among the swiftest, toughest economic sanctions in modern history. Russia's currency has mounted a stunning turnaround, with the ruble jumping 40% against the dollar since January. Normally, a country facing international sanctions and a major military conflict would see investors fleeing and a steady outflow of capital, causing its currency to drop. But Russia's unusually aggressive measures to keep money from leaving the country, in combination with the forcefulness of Western sanctions, are working to create a demand for rubles and pushing up its value. The ruble's resiliency means that Russia is partly insulated from the punishing economic penalties imposed by Western nations after its invasion of Ukraine, although how long that protection will last is uncertain. The main reason for the ruble's recovery is soaring commodity prices. After Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, already high oil and natural gas prices rose even further. Russia's central bank has also propped up the ruble with strict capital controls that make it harder to convert it to other currencies. That includes a ban on foreign holders of Russian stock and bonds and taking dividend payments out of the country. Meanwhile, Russian exporters are required to convert half of their excess revenues into rubles, creating demand. One sign the Russian economy remains under severe pressure is that inflation in Russia is more than double the rate in the United States. All right, so bringing on down to U.S. news this week, obviously a super sad story, um, but i got to cover it. So uh, on May 24th, Salvador Romas carried out the second worst school shooting in U.S. history, killing 21 people, which is 19 students and two adults at Robb Elementary, which teaches second, third, and fourth grade students in Uvalde, which is about 85 miles west of San Antonio. Days after turning 18, Salvador purchased two AR platform rifles from a local federal firearm licensee, along with 375 rounds of 5.56 ammo. On the day of the shooting, he shot his grandmother in the face, who survived and called the police. He then stole his grandmother's vehicle and drove from his home to Robb Elementary School, which is about two miles away. He crashed the vehicle in a ditch near the school and fired his gun at two male witnesses who called 911. 
The shooter enters the school through a back door, which a teacher had propped open. He shot at least 100 rounds into classrooms 111 and 112, which are connected. Three Uvalde police officers rushed to the same door that the gunman used to enter, which was closed. They entered and received grazing wounds from the gunman, and they retreated. Later, four more officers, including a deputy with Uvalde County Sheriff's Office, entered the school, but after being shot at, they also retreated back out of the school. It took over a painstakingly long hour, which worried parents outside the school, before a Border Patrol tactical unit with riot shields were able to arrive, set up, breach the room using janitor's keys, and kill the gunman. No matter how many laws you pass... Bad people are going to find a way to do their evil deeds, and this was evil incarnate, said Richard Briscoe with Open Carry Texas. But other NRA members closer to the shooting scene in Uvalde say maybe it's time to consider raising the age limit to purchase assault rifles to 21-year-olds. Personally, I think that 21 to purchase something like that is more than reasonable and, at this point, pretty clearly necessary um, you know, the fact that you got to be 21 for certain guns, but yet you can get an AR-15 or a shotgun at 18. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, you know, I just feel like if you got to be 21 to drink because, you know, they say your brain's not fully developed or you're not fully mature or whatever it is, I mean, that should apply directly to firearms. So, um, I'm not for the, um, you know, the sweeping gun control in the sense of nobody should have them. You know, I don't even really need to get into it. I think it's kind of self-explanatory why you shouldn't hand over all your guns to the government. But at the same time, uh, something does need to change, whether it's uh, better training from the police department, uh, maybe I would say at least three armed personnel at a school. I I mean, it should be in the budget for schools. Our schools should have higher budgets. Um, And not only that, but the clear underlying issue here is mental health. And that's something that's overlooked in America. Um, You know, we as a society, as a community, we've got to do a better job at you know, flagging individuals that have issues and guiding them on a better path. Uh, Because, you know, I really kind of see this playing out one of two ways where we end up with some kind of restriction on our Second Amendment or, you know, the use of artificial intelligence to kind of pinpoint these people before this thing kind of happens. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Minority Report, but... You know, that's basically what that movie was about. So if you don't want either one of those two things to happen, I think we kind of got a guide in the in the way of helping these people fix what's broken in their head before this kind of thing happens. You know, if you see somebody that's fucked up, you know, maybe <laughs> tell somebody that's in a position to get them help or... Something we get, we got to do better because uh, 19 kids dying is just uh, it's not acceptable and it makes us all look bad. But that's my two cents about that. Um, moving things on to local news. So, this is actually a follow up of a story that I did a few weeks ago about um, Casey White and Vicki White. 
if you'll remember, he was the inmate who uh, was on the run. She was allegedly, you know, taking him uh, for some kind of assessment, and then they just both went MIA. It wasn't clear whether or not she was kidnapped or if she helped him. Um, you know, this story is actually a little bit older, but unlike, you know, this was all over the headlines when it happened, but was not so, um, blatant when the chase came to an end. So it slipped past me, but anyway, I stumbled across it. I want to catch you guys up on that. Um, so authorities received a tip in Evansville, Indiana of the whereabouts of Casey and Vicki White. Officers spotted the duo exiting an Evansville motel room and drive away in a Cadillac, which set off a pursuit. Casey White intended to have a shootout with law enforcement and would have done so had pursuing officers not forced him to wreck in a ditch. The crash ended White's 11-day run uh, with former corrections officer Vicki White. Casey White was pulled from the wreck and arrested. Vicki White, however, was pronounced dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Investigators believe that the two had fostered a romantic relationship while Casey White, who was normally housed in a state prison, was periodically transferred to Lauderdale County Jail. He is now being held at a state prison in Bessemer, Alabama. Vicki White was basically the mastermind behind the whole plan, Singleton said. As the second-in-command at the county detention center, White used her position to execute the plan. She scheduled the van transport that morning. She made sure that all the other armed deputies were out of the building and tied up in court. She knew that the booking officer wasn't going to question her. When she told her that she was going to take him to court and drop him off with other employees... Uh, she arranged a purchase getaway car, she sold her house, she got her hands on cash, she went shopping, bought him clothes. She just obviously put the plan together. Uh, Casey White didn't escape from the facility, he was basically just let out, the sheriff said. So, that's a crazy ending to that story. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so this week, since I'm releasing this so much uh, in advance, there won't be a weather forecast because uh, weather forecasts aren't really that accurate. And if I'm guessing this far out, it'll probably be even less accurate. So we're just going to skip that this week. All right. For the crypto segment, we got Bitcoin coming in basically the same as Ben, uh, maybe a little lower, 29000 Um For the story this week, uh, we're going to be talking about Ethereum. Uh, so the beacon chain for Ethereum, uh, which is going to introduce proof of stake, experienced a seven block reorganization on Wednesday. Uh, reorganization can happen either through a malicious attack from a miner with high resources or simply through network failure, such as a bug, uh, temporarily resulting in a duplicate version of a blockchain and bringing a potentially high level security risk. On May 25th, seven blocks from number 3,887,075 to 3,887,081 were knocked out of the beacon chain, according to data from BeaconScan. The reorg is the longest in years. We suspect this is caused from the implementation of proposer boost fork choice has not fully rolled out onto the network. Um, Van Loon said, this reorg is not an indicator of a flawed fork choice, but a non-trivial segmentation of updated versus out-of-date client software. Um, I know that's like, I mean, that's kind of jargon 
that I don't really understand. So I imagine it's the same for you guys. But it basically, it sounds like to me that uh, not everything was up to date, and um, it's not indicative of them having a major security flaw. Uh, and the co-founder, Vitalik Buterin, called this theory a good hypothesis, claiming that the client teams were trying to understand the situation so that they could propose a fix. Um, so, you know, there, this is a side chain, so it doesn't really affect the main chain, to my knowledge. But it does indicate that it's not as secure as they would like it to be. And I think this is uh, a little bit more evidence that the ETH2 merge is going to be a little further out than we think right now they're calling for August. So we're just going to have to see how that plays out. All right, so the positive story for the week. Uh, Western monarch populations have declined precipitously since the 1990s when 3 to 10 million butterflies migrated annually from the northwestern United States to spend their winter at hundreds of sites along the California coast. Last year, less than 2,000 monarchs were counted in the entire state. Butterfly researchers despaired since the number was well below the level theorized to lead to collapse and extinction. And they rejoiced when unexpectedly the species made a dramatic comeback last year. California's uh, Society for Invertebrate Conservation announced that today, with the help of volunteers, it counted nearly 250,000 butterflies in 2021. A more than hundredfold increase that Society Senior Endangered Species Conservation Biologist Emma Pelton calls magnificent. Wow, are you guys proud that I said that sentence? <laughs> the monarchs of North America are split into two populations and two spectacular migrations divided by the Rocky Mountains. Eastern monarchs' flyers sweep south every fall and blanket acres of forest in central Mexico each winter. At the same time, western monarchs depart sites across a broad swath west of the Rockies and head southwest to California. The monarch's surprising rebound is still a cause for celebration, Pelton says. It's a ray of hope that this population can bounce back and that they're more resilient than we thought. All right, so I got three fun facts. So to prevent themselves from floating away in the swirling sea while they sleep, sea otters often entangle themselves in forests of kelp or giant seaweed to provide anchorage. This is also the reason why they hold hands. They do so in order to prevent themselves from drifting away from the group, which is cute. Second fun fact, your stomach's primary digestive juice, hydrochloric acid, is so powerful that it can dissolve metal. Pez candy was invented to help people quit smoking cigarettes. The original Pez dispensers were shaped similarly to a cigarette lighter. For the comedy segment this week, if the Ku Klux Klan are wizards, why don't they just cast a spell to kill all that oppose them? It's because they don't have access to black magic. On the first day, God created the dog. God said, Sit all day by the door of your house and bark at anyone who comes in or walks past. For this, I will give you a lifespan of 20 years. The dog said, That's a long time to be barking. How about only 10 years and I'll give you back the other 10? So God agreed. On the second day, God created the monkey and said, Entertain people, do tricks, and make them laugh. For this, I'll give you a 20-year lifespan. The monkey said, Monkey tricks? For 20 years? That's a pretty long time to perform. How about I give you back ten like the dog did? And God agreed. On the third day, God created the cow and said, You must go into the field with the farmer all day long and suffer under the sun. Have calves and give milk to support the farmer's family. For this, I will give you a lifespan of sixty years. The cow said, That's a kind of tough life you want me to live for sixty years. How about twenty and I'll give you back the other forty? 
and God agreed again. On the fourth day, God created humans and said, Eat, sleep, play, marry, and enjoy your life. For this, I'll give you 20 years. But the human said, Only 20 years? Could you possibly give me my 20? The cow that the 40 gave back, the 10 that the monkey gave back, and the 10 that the dog gave back? And that makes 80, okay? Okay, said God. You asked for it. So that's why for our first 20 years, we eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. For the next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support our family. For the next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain the grandchildren. And for the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at everyone. And third joke. I was going to donate blood today, but they started asking too many questions like, whose blood is this and where'd you get it? (laughs) All right, so inspirational quote. uh, This one's by Barack Obama. Uh, Not his biggest fan, but dude, a good quote, a good quote. Said, it may make your blood boil and your mind may not be changed, but the practice of listening to opposing views is essential for effective citizenship. It is essential for our democracy. All right, and Spotify Song of the Week, An Honest Mistake by The Bravery. All right, everybody, that concludes the podcast. Thank you all for tuning in yet again, and I'll see you all next week. Have a good Memorial Day.